we've been in such a beautiful place in the last couple of weeks as a church, and uh, I feel like something really significant shifted or, or opened up a couple of weeks ago when Krista actually preached. And um, since then, um, Connor preached, Jane preached, and it's just been like this continuous build from this place of like, um, from the invitation of the Lord into being missional and what that really looks like. And uh, I really feel like it's so significant to know that that invitation that is, or that was put out by the Lord was not for a one-time Sunday morning. It was not for a little two-hour session, um, but it is, it is always available. And like we said a couple of weeks ago, it is not just an invitation from the Lord. It is the cry of the heart of the Father to welcome His children to Him, to, that you can behold Him clearly and experience Him in great, deep measures. You know, and I, what we're not talking about is religion, right? That's gross and it hurts people, you know? And it's stale. What I'm talking about is living God, knowing Jesus, actually meeting Him and encountering Him and feeling His presence, seeing Him, being changed and transformed by Him. And you need to know today, keep your hearts open. Don't just um, look at me. Look, look to Jesus even as I share the word today because I'm not anybody special. I just love Jesus. And I really hope that everything I have to share today will stir you to love Him more. And to draw nearer to him, because he's really eager. Um, from that place of this this invitation, I, I've been feeling so strongly over the last couple of weeks that um, we know biblically there is no gray area between what is of the Lord and what is not of the Lord. Right? It's it's very clear. Sometimes offensively, <laughs> if you're in that kind of space, and. Um, I really feel like because he's drawn the line in the sand, I feel like there is this urgency on the heart of the Lord for the church to draw a line in the sand between what is of the Lord and what is not of the Lord. And I'm not talking about it from a legalistic perspective because you can look at it from what's right and wrong and then you're just going to be wrong. When you're always looking at what you need to try fix, what you need to try correct in your life, what you need to try uh, stay away from, all these disciplines you need to create, you're just going to find yourself in the same trap, the same cycle over and over and over again. What you need is Jesus and only Jesus. So this line that I feel that he's drawing in the sand um, may be quite difficult for some because it does look quite radical um, because it really means that Jesus becomes your only. So there is nothing, once you have tasted the Lord, there is nothing in this world that could satisfy that space in your heart like the man Jesus truly can. There is no dream in your heart, no business you can form, no relationship that you can have, whether it's um, a loved one or, a, or a, a, an intimate relationship, there is nothing that will ever satisfy the longing of your heart like Jesus because he made you with that space in your heart that only he can fill. Um, so I feel like what the Lord wants us to understand is that he wants us to only draw from him. He wants us to draw his strength, um, to draw his wisdom, his knowledge, um, his love and His heart, and that we cannot afford in what we're in right now to, to take anything from any other place, because it just won't mix with Jesus, and it won't bring any fruit and transformation into your life. It's just impossible. Um, Jesus must become our only. This is absolutely essential. And um, just something that I've seen I'm just going to go straight in. Um, over the last couple of weeks, actually, you know, not even just the last couple of weeks, for a long time, um, is that what scares me is that even sometimes in the church, people I see are, are drawing um, wisdom or quotes, all these different kinds of things from sources that are just simply not Jesus. And the, the dangerous thing, which is why it may seem right or okay, is that it sounds like Hmm, that could tie in with scripture, or yeah, that you know that that sounds about right. It, it seems like it just it's saying what you needed to say. But the danger and the caution that I feel to just put out there today is that if it's not Jesus and it's not from the word, the the mouth of, of the Lord, from the word of God, then it will bring no fruit to your life. It will bring no transformation. If you have to try take something and pull it into the gospel. It doesn't become the gospel. Only Jesus and his gospel will bring power and transformation to your life. Only. You need to cut everything else out. It, it's just an absolute must. I want to read something from Colossians chapter 2. You're welcome to turn there if you want to. Um, 
I'm just going to read straight from verse 1. Uh, This is Paul writing. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, uh, Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Isn't that beautiful? Look at verse 4. Look at this caution here, right? Verse 4 says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. See, it seems there, there are things out there that seem right. Uh, the things that try to capture your heart and deceive you are never going to be blatant because then you'd have to be pretty thick, sorry, to fall for it. Um, if, if you see something that just outright says Jesus is not Lord and you believe that, that's just crazy. Um, but what Paul is saying here is I'm telling you that every single treasure of wisdom and knowledge, everything that you could possibly need is only found in the man Jesus. Every single thing. And I say this that nobody else can delude you with plausible arguments. In other words, no matter how right it may seem, if it's got all the right packaging, but it's not of the Lord, then it's not of the Lord. And no matter how hard you try to tie it in, it's not actually going to benefit you if it's not through intimacy with the man Jesus. Okay. Later on in this chapter, Paul continues with that thought, and he gets a little bit more intense, as Paul often does. Um, I'm just going to go from, also in chapter 2, but from verse 20. He says, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations um, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. No matter how pretty it may look, how right it even may sound, um, how close it might be to that line uh, of the gospel, if it's not Jesus, it will not help you in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If you want to live life in the Spirit, that requires communion with the Holy Spirit. End of full stop, okay? And the reason why I'm sharing all of this is because, like I keep saying, I feel like the Lord is calling His church again to make Him our only. That there is nothing else that we need, nothing else that we desire more, no other place that we turn to for that, um, that satisfaction, the, the cry of our hearts, right? Um, and because I feel like when we look in the Bible, um, every single person that ever had an encounter with the Lord, um, whether it was an unbeliever or a prophet or whatever it was, whenever they met Jesus, everything changed. The entire course of their life completely changed and was never the same again. Um, a particular example, just because I've been talking about him now, I want to read um, in Acts 9 where Paul first meets the Lord. So everybody knows I'm sure everybody knows the story of how radical Paul was before he even met the Lord. Um, He was a Pharisee and was persecuting the church. He got permission from the high priests to pull people out of their houses, men, women, and children. um, And he killed them, all thinking that it was for the Lord. So he, uh, he says in Galatians that he was so zealous for the traditions of his fathers. So he, he was perfect under the law. He was um, in following all the, the rules and the, the, the regulations. And he just wanted to be perfect. And he was so zealous that anything that tried to come against their traditions, he so violently went against it that he actually killed people. Now, on his way, so uh, Acts chapter 9, Paul is now on his way um, uh, to, he's on the road to Damascus, Um, yeah, uh, to Damascus, and uh, he's been given letters that he has permission to bring anybody belonging to the way, men or women, uh, that he can bring them bound to Jerusalem. So from verse 3, it says, Now, uh, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love, Paul was busy killing the church, but Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? Because we're one with him. Um, And Paul said, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Wow. So here he is on a mission. He's zealous. He's ready. He's got all the necessary paperwork to do what he needs to do, right? He's very qualified. Um, And in a moment, the light of the glory of the Lord shines upon him on his way to do the very opposite of anything to do with Jesus. Um, And the Lord reveals himself to him. He says, I am Jesus. Why are you doing this, uh, Saul? His name changed. We know that. Um, Why are you doing this? Why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus. And in a moment... I love, we can just sometimes, one of the greatest tragedies is speed reading scripture because there's so many things that you can miss or overlook where it just says stuff. But if you really camp there, it's actually so rich. Um, Right after this encounter, Paul is completely, he's left blind. He cannot see anything. The light of the glory of the Lord has left him completely blind. And it says that for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. What's beautiful is in this time, when you read a little bit further on, when Jesus reaches out to Ananias to go and pray for him, um, he says that in this time, Paul has been praying, and he's been seeing things um, in visions. He's been seeing that somebody is going to come and pray to him, uh, for him. Sorry. Um, so what happens is the light of the glory of the Lord shines upon Paul. In a moment, he's completely undone, falls to his face, as most people do when they see the glory of the Lord, right? But what is so beautiful here is that in a moment, In a moment, he is blinded to the things of the world. Yes, I know in the natural, but think about that for a moment. He sees Jesus. He sees the light of the glory of the Lord. Jesus reveals himself to him. And in a moment, he cannot see anything uh, in the world. For three days, he neither ate nor drank. And then John 6, Jesus said, my flesh is true spiritual food and my blood is true, uh, true spiritual drink. In such a short amount of time here, Paul had such a radical encounter that he learned um, what it meant to drink of the Lord, to feast on his presence, to feast on his word. He'd met him and encountered him. And we know from this point on, there was a radical difference in, in the life of Paul, in the direction that he went. He wrote the majority of the, the letters in the New Testament. He fathered countless amounts of churches and just became absolutely radical. But what I want to point your attention to here is that Meeting Jesus should do this to you. There shouldn't be, yeah, I've met him, but you know, I'm still journeying a couple of things, right? How many know a journey actually means moving forward? (laughs) If you're still stuck and you've been stuck in the same thing for months or years, I don't know if you're on a journey in that area. You might just be in unbelief. And it's okay, because you just need to meet Jesus. What I see in the Bible and what I experience in my own life, and please hear my heart, I'm not trying to build myself. I can only share my heart and my life with you guys. But what I experienced when I met Jesus was that nothing was the same again. Everything else that I enjoyed, that I loved, that I was pursuing became empty and tasteless. And no matter how hard I tried, I couldn't find any kind of... Um, belonging or satisfaction or um, just anything really. Everything was just so empty. Because when you meet the Lord, the purpose of meeting Him is to know Him and from that place make Him known. Where everything that you try to find in the world, suddenly in a moment, He is everything that you were looking for and more. And I want to read, can I use your amplifier quickly? I want to read you a scripture, particularly out of the Amplified Bible. Uh, It's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's so beautiful, and the Amplified just adds a couple of things in there that uh, just really put such language and context to what I'm talking about here. So Ecclesiastes 3.11, specifically in Amplified, please make a note of that so you can read it when you're at home again. It says, He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity which is a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. 
a, a sense of divine purpose. I'm just going to read that again. That was beautiful. In the human heart, which is a mysterious longing uh, that nothing under the sun can satisfy except God. I think something that really grieves my heart is that even in the church, there are those still looking for satisfaction in other areas of life. And if you're not careful, it's easy. Um, today in worship, I saw this beautiful picture of the throne of the Lord. And uh, at first when I saw it, I saw the one seated on the throne. And I just started crying because he's so beautiful. But then I also saw it empty. And uh, I felt the Lord speak to me. And he was talking about how this is the throne of your heart. And that you're the ones who get to decide who sits there. Only you. You see, there's decisions to make. Um, when you read in Acts, people did not dare to join the church because they knew that it meant everything will change. Not because I'm now bound to rules and religions and I'm going to get a smack on the wrist if I break any of those things. No, because I'm going to meet God. Like, God. <laughs> this shouldn't become tame, ever. There's a reason these people's lives changed in a moment. It wasn't because they heard a good sermon. It's because they met Jesus. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, a couple of weeks ago, just in line with that, um, Con was sharing in Luke chapter 4, and there was a simple but beautiful line in there that Jesus um, quotes from Deuteronomy in his response to the devil when he's being tempted. It's in Luke 4, 8, when he just simply says, um, uh, the Lord, uh, you will worship the Lord God, and Him only will you serve. It's about making Him your only. Um, and when you begin to do that, things just get really, really beautiful. All right, um, let's go to one Corinthians, chapter two. I want you to know that in everything that I'm talking about, what's really important to understand is that you are not powerless to make a decision for this to become your life. Nobody can make this decision for you, not even Jesus. He's a gentleman and he will never force his way into your life. He wants to be welcomed. He wants to be received, um, which is beautiful. That's true love. That doesn't get forced, right? I want to read um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 from verse 2. Um, just this verse here, Paul says, For I decided, everybody say, I decided, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I decided, everybody say, I decided, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people that really seem to have this mindset that you are powerless to decide to change things, that you feel powerless to make the decision to follow after Jesus and to watch your life be transformed. And I, I promise you it's not the case. And if you don't get out of that thinking, nothing will ever change. It just won't. Um, you can have encounter after encounter, beautiful worship moments after beautiful worship moments, but if you're only experiencing the environment and not welcoming Jesus into your heart to allow Him to transform you and to shape your life, you will never experience the transformation that He desires for you to have. And it starts with a decision to follow Jesus, to make Him only. And it's not, it doesn't have to be a crazy long journey. Yes, there's, there's things that, that get outworked. I'm, I'm not saying it's suddenly there's this beautiful package in a moment, but I am saying that it, it, it can be that way too. In a moment, everything can change. Um, and that, that's what happened to me when I met the Lord, and I know it happened for a lot of you too. I want to carry it on reading here, just in line with drawing wisdom and, and knowledge from other kinds of things. Paul says some amazing stuff here. Uh, right after that, in verse 3, he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now, what he's not saying here, he wasn't scared and timid to go before these people. That's not what Paul's saying here. What he's saying is that when he came to this church, the weight of the message that he was there to preach was so heavy, and he understood the importance of communicating the message and the power of the gospel to see this church transformed, all right? And he says in verse 4, And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. 
I feel like the church in the West is a very knowledge-hungry church. <laughs> and um, I believe we're in a time right now, and we're in it, and we're experiencing it more and more, where the power of God is what our faith is truly being rested on. Uh, where you can have all the knowledge in the world and have this great tool belt full of all these different things, but if none of it is actually applied through faith, if none of it is actually understood through relationship and intimacy with Jesus, those things will actually just weigh you down. Because you can be in, an, in a situation and understand what to do, but if your faith just rests in the knowledge of what to do and not in the power of the one who will do it for you, different mindset, right? Um... Just jump down to verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. This is so powerful. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Watch. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Isn't that amazing? Why waste time drawing wisdom and knowledge and whatever else from any kind of other resource when you've been given the spirit of God like to me that that should change everything to really think for a moment about everything that Jesus did for you pouring out his spirit that now lives inside of you the presence of the Lord living inside of you what does that look like in day-to-day -day life because this here says that I can understand and hear and know the thoughts of God like that's cool right come on like you guys need to be more excited about that. <laughs> I think that's really awesome. <laughs> um, so what, what I want to say here, um, I heard it was Michael Kulianos that said this a while ago. Um, I'm going to say it a little bit differently though. Where every single one of us are no stranger to the environment of this room or any room um, when there's an amazing worship team and, and worship is just so powerful and it's beautiful and there's just such an anointing on the instruments, on the singers, on the, the prayers, everything. And um, I feel like everybody here is no stranger to the environment of the anointing. So most people have experienced and felt, um, you can feel there is a shift in the atmosphere when Jesus walks into the room. Uh, if you've never experienced before, you know it's there, but you might just not have language for it, but something changes. There's an external feeling. Um, what I want to tell you today is that the heart of the Lord is that He doesn't just want to be admired. He wants to be received. So you can be in the room, and you can experience everything going around. You can even look at other people encountering the Lord, weeping, whatever it might be, and, and admire that, and admire what He's doing in the room, and, oh, wow, everything just feels so great. It's so beautiful. But if it stops there, you'll leave the same. If it stops, that's how, you, that's how something becomes just a moment, where you can go home, go to your lunch plans that you have afterwards, and nothing about your life actually changes. Because Jesus didn't ask you to just admire him. Of course we do that because he's beautiful and he's everything, and to worship him is why we're alive. But he wants to be received. Receiving him into your heart and into your life, inviting him into that space, is the very thing that is going to change everything for you. So the reason that I think that this happens is because we know how to encounter the room, but we're not very good at drinking of his presence in, in terms of having an internal experience, right? Do you want to turn with me to John chapter 4? I've got a lot of scriptures for you today. Uh, John chapter 4, most of us know the story, it's Jesus and the woman of Samaria, uh, the well, it's a, a really beautiful uh, chapter, I really encourage you to go read it. Um, okay, so he's with this woman and they're about to draw water, um, I'm just going to go right to verse 13, let's just go straight to it, so verse 13 says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
just want to read verse 14 again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him. The more that I read that in the last couple of weeks, the more that I, I realized that it's not, um, often that's not treated as one thing. He's saying he, he holds out the water. The desire of Jesus is to give his church the living water, to experience it. But it is your responsibility to drink it. He says, whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. And the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what is eternal life? We're not just talking about a ticket into heaven, right? John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Christ Jesus whom you've sent. Jesus is the only God, full stop, but also the only God um, that holds promise for eternal life, both in this life and in the one to come. Every other belief in religion is just up in arms about what's going to happen when you die. Jesus holds promise for right now. Don't wait till heaven to know him. It'll be too late. Okay, I'm going to read a very similar passage in John chapter 7. Just flip a couple of pages over. Chapter 7, verse 37. says, On the last uh, day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There's like three parts there. One, if anybody thirsts. Who's thirsty for Jesus? Number two, let him come to me. Most of us are pretty good at coming to the Lord when the environment is right, when we've got all the, the Bethel hits and everything's all fun. Um, but part three is, and drink. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. With this in mind, of coming to Jesus um, always with the sole purpose of worshiping him, but understanding that there's always something to receive and not the keys to your Ferrari or your next promotion. <laughs> what he's wanting to impart is more of himself. Every moment that you worship Jesus and engage and encounter the Lord is laying your life at his feet and he always responds by giving more of himself. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is the greatest promise in the Bible. That if you position yourself to draw near to the heart of the Lord, he is right there waiting to reveal more of himself to you. Now with that in mind, coming to him and receiving something, to actually drink of his presence, that it's not just this external experience which can still wow you, but he wants to get into you. He wants the living waters to be the thing that actually sustains you, that brings you sustenance, so that it then spills out of you, right? It becomes a spring of water, rivers of living water that flow, and that's what begins to touch other people's lives. But with that in mind about tasting the water of the Lord, drinking of his presence, now something like Psalm 34 verse 8 really comes to life when it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. So you might only know that he's good from your theology, but do you know that he's good because you've tasted him? Because you've had the living waters inside of you. You've not just felt it externally, but you've drank, uh, drank, drank, drank. Need some drink, drank of his presence, drank of, <laughs> drank of his presence. Getting drunk of his presence is wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah, to taste and see that the Lord is good. That's when it becomes real. It's an internal experience that he, that he really wants. I, I've, I was talking to my sister about this last night, even in terms of um, physical healings and things like that, which are absolutely beautiful. And we have, while every one of us have seen wild, um, you know, miracles, but... Something so important that I've learned is that the Lord is so much more concerned with the state of somebody's heart than he is with your physical condition. Because when you stand before him one day, and you will, you will stand before him one day, you're not going to have whatever issues you had here, whether it's physical, emotional, anything, it doesn't matter. All that's going to be there is your heart before the Lord. Um... This is why this is so important. Don't just admire him. Don't just get caught up in the things of church. It's easy to get caught up in routine, but then it just becomes religion if you're not actually meeting Jesus. We're not here just to sing songs, to get a good word. I hope it's a good word. <laughs> um, and, and to pray from a place of like, well, I hope this is going to happen. The reason why the church exists is to minister to the heart of God, and that is not an empty and a stale experience. That is not a, every other kind of religion is man's attempt at reaching up 
to whatever God that they believe in. But Jesus came down and he actually desires to be among you and for you to know him and feel him, touch him, encounter him. It must be a real experience. Otherwise, what's the point really? You know, years ago, I, I, I ran away from church because I never had an internal experience. I loved church. I went every single week to, to youth. I was part of the youth band and it was super awesome. But the moment things got tough in my life and things started happening, it was so easy to fall away. Why? Because I never met Jesus. <laughs> church will not save you. The best, most profound word you've ever heard in your life will not save you. An anointed worship leader will not save you. Your pastor will not save you. Only Jesus can save you and deliver you from whatever you're in. And the purpose is to not just fix your mess and leave you. The point is always to come to him and to drink of his presence. Very, very, very important. Um, in Jeremiah, it's a very quick scripture. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But it's Jeremiah 2, verse 13. It's a bit of a, he a, bit of a heavy one, so just buckle up. <laughs> it is an Old Testament prophet, so... Okay, chapter 2, verse 13 says, it's the Lord speaking. He says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I'm going to just read that again. They have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I tell you, there is no life, no matter how flashy you manage to build it up, and there are some incredible people out there that can build incredible self-empires. Um, but no matter what it is that you try to do in your life, anything that you try to draw from or build or aspire to, um, it will never be able to hold water to bring you the satisfaction that only the Lord can give you. The fountain of living waters. Man, I remember when I first came into the church and... Um, I think it was actually me and you, me and Grant, that kind of on one prayer night asked us to share our testimonies. I'm pretty sure it was you. Um, and I was so unprepared. I'd never spoken with a microphone in my entire life. And um, one thing that just like, kind of came out as I was sharing my testimony was about all the things that I used to pursue and do to just try and cope with day-to-day -day life. And I was saying how it's like that space in your, in your soul, in your heart that I was reading from Ecclesiastes. You can fill it, but there's like a hole in the bottom. So it's like this broken cistern that the Lord's talking about here. It can hold no water. So there are absolutely things in the world that can bring you momentary satisfaction. But once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, everything else will become better when you've truly experienced it. I want you to think about this. In, in Philippians, I keep going to Paul because he's honestly just so radical. <laughs> um, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, I think it is, um, really intense uh, passage there. He says, whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count all things as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You will not count the things of the world as loss if you don't know Jesus, even if you're going to church. If it's not the person, the man, Jesus, that you are encountering and inviting and, uh, into your heart and encountering deeper and deeper every single day, not just on a Sunday, the things of the world will still be very appealing to you. Look at that encounter with Paul in a moment. So zealous, even for the things of the Lord. Remember, he wasn't serving some foreign God. He was serving God, just not in the living way that was brought about. And he was so... Like, um, wild and, and so extreme for all the traditions and, and, and upholding them and making sure that everybody else does as well. But in a moment, one time, one time of seeing the, the light of the glory of the Lord, tasting and seeing the presence of the Lord, meeting the man Jesus and inviting him in, changes everything, 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 everything. I, I just really want you to know if there's things that you've been Whatever it is, whether it's work or relationships or anything that you've been trying to find some kind of wholeness or healing, uh, like these words that are coming out, you need to know, I, I promise you, that you will not find freedom in any of it. You will not find wholeness, healing, satisfaction. Your entire life will be bitter and empty and just tasteless without Jesus, I promise you. It's very important that you turn to the fountain of living waters and receive him. Whew. 
Who would like the fire of the Lord to fall down today? Can we just try something real quick? Make sure you're not getting distracted. <laughs> just close your eyes for a moment. I want to show you something really, really beautiful and simple. Just close your eyes and open your heart to the Lord. Just say this, Jesus, I worship you. Jesus, I love you. Do you feel that? Just keep your heart there. I want to read another scripture that uh, most of us only really know when we're feeling a bit tired. <laughs> um, but it's really been coming alive to me in the last couple of weeks. It's Matthew 11, verse 28. I'm pretty sure everybody knows this one. Um, but there's three key things here that I really feel are important to know. <clears throat> Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Once again, there are three key things here that I want to point out that are really essential in the order that they're in. First of all, Jesus says, come to me. There's the invitation that we're talking about. It is for all of time, that invitation is always going to be there. And the beautiful part is we can actually take every single moment to respond to it. Um, and I encourage you to do so. He's always, always, not just waiting, but yearning with open arms to receive you and to lavish his love and his presence and his tender mercies uh, over you. Second step. So he says, come to me. Then he says, I will give. There is always something to be imparted. And it's him. Uh, he says, I will give you rest. Rest that can only come from the presence of the Lord. There's always something to receive from Jesus. And then he says, take. He says, take my yoke upon you. I don't know if you've ever, I remember being a, a kid and hearing these scriptures, take my yoke upon you. And I only knew like an egg yolk. So I was like, what? <laughs> what do you mean take my yoke upon you? That's crazy. <laughs> Um, but then I yeah, got somewhat of an education, and, <laughs> and um, it's actually quite beautiful, like researching why he, in context, why he said something like that. If you look up how two oxen are actually yoked together, it's really quite beautiful. Um, every single time when there is a new or a younger oxen that is coming through, it will always be yoked to a fully grown, mature oxen. The reason why is so that from day one that that guy is, is going to work is that he's yoked to an ox that already knows what he's there to do, and he carries the bulk of the weight. So somebody who's new coming into it doesn't have to figure it out. He's just following because he's yoked um, to the more mature, the bigger um, ox who's carrying a bulk of the weight. That's why Jesus says, my burden is light, right? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he's the one who's going to carry it for you. But you cannot be yoked to the world and to Jesus. It'll crush you because you'll be so convicted and not know what to do with it. And then you'll, if you don't deal with conviction, it just becomes a fence in your heart. And that's a horrible place to be in. So he says, take my yoke upon you. Now this is missional. So step one, you come to Jesus. You give him your worship. You give him your love. You give him your adoration because he's so beautiful and he's so worthy. Second step, you receive. You take his rest. Um, you receive his heart. You receive his love. You find your wholeness and your identity um, and everything that you've ever desired in him. And second, uh, sorry, third, you take his yoke upon you. You yoke yourself to Jesus. Watch what he says here. He says, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls when you've yoked yourself to him. You find rest for your souls because being yoked to Jesus is your purpose. You find rest, and it's not a struggle. It's not a sacrifice or a, uh, um, a struggle to follow Jesus. Only when you are torn between two things. 
There's an amazing, um, you know, the stories of Elijah and Elisha, right? I mean, one Kings, man, somebody needs to make like a Marvel worthy movie of the life of Elijah. Like that would be so cool. That guy was crazy. He called down fire from heaven, cooked guys, and it was so cool. Um, in chapter 18 of Kings, um, he says something there. Elijah says something that is so powerful and so um, just blunt and straightforward that you have to make a decision then and there. All of Israel has forsaken the Lord, and they are following Baal. They have put up idols and all kinds of things. And uh, it's now just Elijah. He's the only prophet left. And uh, he goes down and he addresses um, all of Israel. And it's just him and 450 prophets of Baal. So just one of Elijah with the Lord and 450 prophets of Baal. But how many know that they were actually outnumbered, right? In Verse 21, you can make a note of this. 1 Kings 18, verse 21. The, uh, Elijah addresses the people of Israel, and he says something so profound. He says, how long will you go limping between two opinions? This is what he says, right? You can go read it. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? He says, if the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Do not dance between these two different things. You need to make a decision in your heart. If you know that the Lord is God, then follow him. It's not hard. But if it's Baal, then follow him. Jesus in Revelation 3, he says, I wish you were either hot or cold. Because I can't do anything with you when you're lukewarm, when you're dancing between uh, you know, the world and him. You cannot be friends with the world and friends with Jesus. And this like... This can so easily sound like a legalistic kind of a thing, and, and please hear my heart, that is not this, it's not about right or wrong or, or trying to be um, you know, perfect and just the best and all of that, but when you meet Jesus and when it's about Jesus, you turn away from those things not because you are forced to or because you're compelled to, but because you've tasted and seen something way, way better. And now, my motivation from creating new disciplines in my life, like um, spending hours with the Lord every single day and learning to feast on His Word and His Word only, suddenly it's not a choice anymore to turn away from those things. I promise you, in my own life, I look at how my path changed, and there was never a moment or a day where I decided, I'm not going to do these things anymore. I'm, I'm choosing now to, to follow the Lord. It just happened. Like, I looked back, and I was like, oh my word, I don't do those things anymore. I'm pursuing completely different things. I'm doing different things. It, it's like when you actually meet Jesus, it's, there's not even that much of a decision to make because nothing compares with how beautiful he is. Nothing. There is nothing, nothing, nothing that compares. The reason why this order that I read in Matthew is so important about coming to him, receiving him, and then being yoked um, to him to be missional is so important. Uh, that's another thing, by the way. How many know that you're not going to be yoked to stay in one place? Being yoked to Jesus means you've got a mission. You're moving forward, right? Um, last uh, scripture that I want to read is in Luke uh, chapter 10, the story of Mary and Martha. I was saying to our house of Acts, Martha always gets so much flack whenever this scripture is preached. <laughs> like Mary's the one and Martha, whew, sorry Martha, you know. <laughs> um, but I hope to change your minds about that. Um, it's from verse 38 in Luke chapter 10. It's the story. Um, it says, Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, this is so beautiful, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Now, we understand how beautiful it is that Mary was sitting at the Lord's feet and listening to his teaching. So there was this surrender, there was this worship and this receiving of everything that, that Jesus had to say, right? Um. But the mistake that I felt, even in my own heart reading this, by just dismissing Martha, is to ask yourselves uh, this question. Who was Martha serving? Martha was serving Jesus. 
So what I want to point your attention to, if you're really zealous for the Lord and for doing missions and outreach and all that kind of stuff, the way in which you go about it in conducting your life is very, very important. The fact that Martha was serving was not the problem here. The problem is that she didn't first sit at the feet of Jesus. So she was distracted um, because she was, uh, Jesus said, you are anxious and troubled about many things. She was so caught up in the doing that she forgot about the knowing. Jesus was right there in her own home. The man Jesus in her home, and she, her heart was to serve him. But because it didn't come from a place of intimacy and knowing him, it brought about anxiety. It brought about trouble. It brought about hardship, right? And Lord, why don't you just tell Mary to come and help me? Like, it's not fair that, that I'm just doing this all on, all on my own, right? It's come to me. Receive my words. Receive my teachings. In Ezekiel chapter 3, he sees crazy, crazy, crazy stuff. Sees the glory of the Lord and all kinds of weird-looking angels and things. And um, if you want to have a fun time and entertain your imagination, like go read to just try to picture the stuff that Ezekiel was seeing. But the Lord says something so, so powerful to him in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, um, every single word that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart. That's what he said to Ezekiel. You can hear the word of the Lord through, through prophets in your own heart, whatever it may look like, but the purpose is for it to be received. When it is received, it brings transformation in your heart. You grow uh, deeper in your relationship with Jesus, in knowing Him, in intimacy with Him. And from that place, you can serve Him. I promise you, Mary would have served really well once she'd wrapped up everything that was going on there, once Jesus was finished speaking and she'd cried on his feet a little bit more and just loved him and been with him, I promise you she would have served with the biggest smile on her face. It's not that Martha did something wrong. It's just the order in which she did it that didn't produce good fruit. She was serving Jesus and he wasn't too phased in the moment because one thing was necessary in that moment and that was to serve him. I really feel, one moment please, I need some living waters. <laughs> Shanda. <clears throat> I really um I really feel um in the last two weeks just in prepping for this, the Lord is just prepping my heart and giving me language for this stuff and and giving me all these scriptures to just unpack and, and, and just giving so much understanding of things that I thought I knew but didn't anymore. And what I feel really, really, really significantly, uh, what I feel really important to understand is that you need to come to Jesus and to receive him. An invitation requires a response, even if it's no. If you just leave it, I don't know, that just doesn't really make sense. I think to, to ignore it is to give an answer, actually. To ignore it is to say no. It's just, yeah. Um, and I feel like today there is still this profound invitation from the Lord to come close to Him to know Him, to behold Him clearly, and in a moment for the light of the glory of His presence and His beauty to blind you to the things of the world. Because when it's all about Jesus, there is nothing that will grip your heart. There's nothing that will steal your affection when all of it is placed on Jesus. And it is a decision. It is not a moment. Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me. Okay? I believe that there are people here today that need to respond. And that doesn't look like just bowing your head and you know, kind of saying a silent prayer. I believe, first of all, that there are people here today, and this is not a heavy, this is beautiful, we, we're celebrating this, okay? There are people here today that even if you've been doing church for a little while, that you've never actually given your life to the Lord. You've never actually put your life at His feet, given your life into His hands, and made the decision to follow Him. If you're questioning whether you've done that before, then you probably haven't, because you'll know, you'll see it by the fruit of your life. Okay? 
Number two, another group of people that I feel very important that need to respond today is maybe a long time ago, or not even that long ago, it doesn't really matter, you, have, you did give your life to the Lord. And maybe you were really zealous and extreme and wild and passionate for the things of God for a while, but like Martha, the troubles and anxieties of life have gotten to you, and you feel like you've drifted away, and your life is no longer in His hands, allowing Him to move you and direct you. Um, I feel like He's calling these two groups of people today. And the beautiful part that you can get excited for, if that's you, is that the Lord always lets His fire fall on living sacrifices. Today, can we move this out of the way, please? Thank you. This is necessary of a response. And it's not to make a, um, it's not to make, um, make you uncomfortable or to put you on the spot or something like that. I'm not giving you the microphone to come and share something. What I feel like the Lord is doing today, which is something that we've not really done in a while, is to invite you to come to the altar this morning. Um, if you've never given your life to the Lord, He is calling you today. If you have given your life to the Lord, but you're still building your own life and you haven't seen the transformation that you've wanted to see and anxieties and troubles have caught your attention and you feel like you've drifted, the Lord is calling you to the altar this morning. And listen, we're going to celebrate you and I promise you that the fire of the Lord is going to fall on you this morning. These specific people, I'm going to ask you to come up in just a moment, but first there's just something that I really need you to understand. What I'm not inviting you up here to do is to just say a prayer. What I'm not inviting you up here to do is to agree with anything that I am saying. What I'm inviting you up here to do, which I believe requires a physical response, is to meet the man Jesus, to encounter Jesus, to come to him, to receive him, to allow your entire life to be transformed. Can we turn that up? Um... I want you to come and meet Jesus this morning. And that's going to look different for many of you because nobody's going to lead you in a prayer because I think it needs to be you and the Lord. You know what you want to say to Him. You know what you want to ask Him. You know what you need to do. And I want to encourage you. I don't have to point um, anybody out or anything like that. I feel like everybody that... If you feel the weight of that in your heart, that you need to make a response to the Lord, that you need to either give your life to Him or rededicate your life to Him, I really want to invite you to this space right now. And as we do that, we're just going to lift up an environment of worship. So if that's not you, I encourage you to just worship the Lord because it's in the environment of, uh, of praise and of worship unto the Lord that people will come forward because He's so tender, He's so beautiful, and He's calling you today. He's calling you today, and I really I want to stir you. Come and meet Jesus. If you've not given Him your life, come and meet Jesus. If you want to rededicate your life and allow all of you, all of you to be in His hands, to decide to follow Him, not just for this Sunday morning, but to give your life into His hands, I want to invite you to the front now. I want to invite you to the front now. Come and meet Jesus. Come and meet Jesus.